0: Am I the only person uh, in this room who could use more trust because sometimes life doesn't turn out like you wish it would? I'm not, am I? Uh, This morning, we continue in our series on faith, where faith is the decision to trust God, and when you hear from Him to take the next step that you know you should take. We talked about that last week. This week, we're going to take that theme forward, but in a new way, faith... When, when things are easy, well, that's one thing. But when there's something that stands in your path or that has derailed you, that is the direct result of the harm that another person has brought upon you. Does anyone know what that's like? Where someone who should have been trustworthy wasn't. Where someone had some power and they should have used it to help you, but they didn't. They used it to harm you. Where, where, where someone ought to have lifted you, but they pushed you down instead. When that happens, when you have to face a series of challenges, when you have to walk on a road that you never would have chosen to walk on because someone decided to put you on a difficult path, what do you do then? you like to know? I'd like to see that and I'll tell you why. This is personal. I, I, some of you I hardly, some of you I've never met. My name is Christian. Hello. <laughs> Some of you I know a little bit, and what I know about you is that you will face adversity in life because of the choices which other people make, which they shouldn't have made. And what you kind of know, but not really, about me is that I stand before you as a person who more than once in life has had to walk roads that I did not want to walk. that were really hard. And they were really hard because of the things which other people did which they should not have done. Can can I be real? I mean, that's what happens in life. And the subject that I want to set before us today, how faith faces adversity, is not just an abstract philosophical discussion. It could be that. Some of you will have heard the word theodicy. Theodicy. If you have not heard that word, let me say, this is this sort of philosophical conundrum. If you believe that God is good, and if you believe that God has all the power, then why would bad things happen in the world? You've heard of that? And it's a very stimulating and I think a very important discussion. And and sometime maybe we can do that together. I'll do that with you at some point. I don't want to do that this morning, not because it's not important, but because it comes second in my mind, to a much more important question, which is more real. And it's not about when things out there in the world that happen are bad, but it's about, what about me? If I choose to follow God, if I choose to take a step of faith, like you talked about last week, that's me, Abram taking that step, what about when, when things get really hard because people who should have done otherwise make it hard for me? What about then? That's the question I want to think about this morning. And I want to set it before you because I would not be here, I wouldn't, if God hadn't given me the kind of faith, listen now, which holds human wickedness on one side and divine goodness right beside it and chooses to trust that divine goodness is stronger than human wickedness. Not out there, but right here, that that the whole world can come against me And I can still trust that God's goodness is so powerful that it it can even work through the bad things that people do to me. If I didn't trust that, if God hadn't given that to me, I wouldn't be here. All of you, this is what I want. This is what I want from our time together. That all of you would be given the freedom this morning to see what that kind of faith looks like and then to accept God's invitation to believe that. That even if it's all of this misery that is put upon me by others, I'm still free in that moment to make the decision for faith. Faith which believes in this intersection which is real. The intersection between real life where people do bad things and my freedom to trust God that his power and goodness can even work through and and despite those bad things which others do. That that invitation is one that I'm free to take and therefore step forward in that kind of faith. I want to see you and and for this church altogether, to take that step forward in faith and in that way to see that faith actually does defeat adversity. Now, where where will we go to see this? I'm not going to just pull it out of my own mind. Uh, It won't be from some argument from a textbook, what we'll do is we'll see this faith lived out in the life of one ordinary person. If you were here last week, uh, together we saw what faith looks like, which steps forward by looking at a man called Abram. Okay, this week we're going to look at his great-grandson. Abram had a son named Isaac, who had a son named Jacob. His name was changed by God to Israel Most of us will have heard that word Israel, and maybe even the 12 tribes of Israel, those were the 12 sons of Jacob, and one of them was Joseph. His story is told vividly in Genesis, the book of Genesis. It starts in 37, and it goes through chapter 50. It is an amazing story. I would recommend, if you want this week, that you would take some time to look at it. Maybe read it. It's remarkable. It's like, um, it's like a soap opera in the Old Testament. Yeah, I'm serious. It's got all the elements. It, it Really, you, I'll show a few of them this morning. But before we get into the details of his life, we're gonna, I want to take a step back and, and tell you the character who's going to teach us what faith which faces adversity in the right way looks like. So we'll take a step back, and I'm going to tell you this about him. Okay. Here's who we're going to see. Joseph is a man who suffers yet succeeds. And the reason he succeeds, the reason he doesn't give up, the reason the wicked things that other people do against him don't derail him and make him an ineffective person is because of his faith. Okay? He suffers not once or twice, but over and over again because of the difficult things that the people around him do to him. Can anyone here relate? But even though that happens, he becomes an immensely successful person. His life turns out really good. One after another step is up and up. This guy excels, and and he, he grows, and he has influence, All around him, in fact, in the world itself, he has a major impact for good. And all of that is because of the faith that he chooses to have in the face of adversity. He is a person, you'll see this in a a little bit, who holds on the one hand, the wicked things that people have done against him. Right beside that, he holds the goodness of God. And he chooses to believe that God's goodness is stronger than everything that people can do against him. Believing that changes everything in the outcome for him. And what I want you to see now is one moment where this faith of his is expressed directly in something that he says and which is recorded in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Before you look at it, I want you to imagine this. He is standing in the presence of the very people who harmed him and put him in a place where he suffered for 10 years. And this is what he says. Look at it up there. This is his statement of faith. Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good. Let that sink in for a minute. Maybe picture yourself standing in the presence of the person who hurt you. And I know I'm asking some of you to do something that's really hard. Because in this room, there are people who are suffering massively because someone chose to use their power in a wicked way over them or someone they loved would you imagine standing face to face with that person and in that moment believing and then saying you meant to harm me but God himself intended it for good all of the wickedness that you put upon me in God's hands that was God's way of being good to me can you imagine believing that You intended to hurt me. God used your hurt to help me. You wanted to use your power to knock me down. God has used your wickedness to lift me up. Can you imagine believing that and having that be true right there in the presence of the person who harmed you? Now listen, during the job interview, they never asked me, do you cry when you preach? And I sometimes do, okay? And I do, here's why. I know what it's like to suffer because of someone else. I do. I do. And it's awful. And when you're in the midst of it, it's hard. It's especially hard when the person who's caused you to suffer should know better because they also are a person of God. But do you know what happens there too? I'm almost sure I'm not telling you something that you've never heard before. But when that happens, it's so hard. And this faith here, which stands in the face of adversity like that, and says, I know you meant to harm me, but listen... God meant it for good. That is so massively powerful to believe that. And I'll tell you what, it's true. I'm telling you that from my experience. I'm telling you that from the sweep of scripture, which makes it over and over again plain that no matter how strong human wickedness is, God's goodness is stronger still. And I'm telling you that because what I want more than anything is for the community of Renaissance Church to be made up of men and women, young and old, who are growing in faith and who are not derailed by the wicked things that happen to them, because it will happen to the whole church, to individuals, to families. When that comes down, this is the freedom that we're given by God, to, like this young man Joseph, to stand in the face of adversity and believe that God's goodness is so strong that he is somehow able, even, not that he does the bad things to us, but to take the bad things that are done and twist them to his own good purposes, which are better than we could ever dream. That's, that's a, a trust that comes through people who've walked the path of faith and suffered and seen how good God is, that he's just that good. Now, I, I said earlier, I don't want this to be abstract, my story is behind what I say. It's, it's beneath the tears that come out. Someday I'll unfold that a bit more for you as I've just now started. Don't want to see too much too soon, Ugh, right? Okay, you with <laughs> me? What we'll do instead is, is to narrow in for a few minutes on Joseph, the guy who said this, because it came out of a real life for him. It wasn't He wasn't sitting in some ivory tower arguing with theologians about how could God be good and yet powerful and bad things still happen. He was a guy who trusted God and who suffered. And yet he succeeded because of his faith. And that's what I want for us and what God wants for us together. So here's his story. It starts in chapter 37. We'll look at three episodes of it. In that chapter, we're introduced to the fact that Joseph is one of 12 brothers and things in his family are a little tense as they sometimes are. He happens to be his father's favorite son and how does that work for all your siblings when they also know? And you're 17 and you're arrogant and your dad sends you out to tell on them, to spy on them as they work and also you have dreams which you share with them in which God tells you that one day they're all gonna bow down to you. How do you think that worked? In this family that he grew up in, we could say that it was a dysfunctional family. Does anybody relate to that? Now, don't say say yes too loud if you're sitting with your family, but (laughs) one day, Joseph's father says, hey, why don't you go check up on your brothers and tell me whether they're doing their job or not? And these brothers are ones who've heard the dreams that this young man has shared. One day you'll bow down to me, God told me. And as he approaches them, As they're working out in the fields in the middle of the desert you picture this they see him coming along and one of them says you know what i'm so sick of him it's time to get rid of him and someone brings up a solution murder how about we kill him how about we kill him? let's just kill him we'll tell dad that a wild animal got him we'll slaughter him we'll make sure there's blood on his jacket we'll throw his body in a ditch that's how we'll solve this problem. One of the other brothers says, you know, I'm a little uncomfortable with murder. Let's just beat him up and throw him in there and we'll figure out what to do next. And so, as he approaches, that's what they do. They actually beat him up, they tear his coat off, and they throw his body into a ditch. He's not dead. After they throw him in there, they sit down to eat lunch while he's there in the bottom of the hole. Listen, it's, we can laugh when I say, Is your family dysfunctional? But you know things like this happen in families, not just in the Bible, but in real life. Do you know that? Maybe someone here comes from a family that's that dysfunctional. You know, I found as a pastor, when I listen to people and they open up, that the stories I've heard are just this ugly. And listen, if you or a person who's here, and you've suffered that heavily because of your family. And now you're like, why on earth did I come today? This is so (laughs) downer." Would you please stick around until we're done? Off in the distance, there are some traders who are coming along in a caravan, and one of the brothers comes up with an idea, and here's what happens. Look at the text. I'll have it up here. Chapter 37, here's how it ends in this episode. When some Midianite traders passed by they drew Joseph up. That means his brothers reached down to pick him up. Imagine you're him and you're, now your brothers are coming to pick you up. And you think maybe they're gonna have second thoughts and they're gonna say sorry. And they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. How is that for adversity? You have to watch your siblings sell you for a bag of coins. And now you're going off to Egypt, that dangerous land that you'd only heard about. Can you imagine adversity like that? Listen, there's nothing at this point that Joseph can do about what's happened to him. Literally nothing at all. And when you're in a place like that where you're suffering and there's nothing you can do to change it, you will be tempted with the thought that now I'm altogether trapped and I have no more freedom. But do you know you still have freedom? It's the freedom to decide how will I respond to this adversity. What will I do with this trouble that's been handed to me? And please listen, if you're a person right now who feels that utterly trapped, would you consider the truth that even still, even now, even right here, you still have the freedom of how to respond? If you don't believe it, trust me, it's true. Joseph is, at this moment, given the freedom to decide whether he's going to trust this statement of faith that we started with. Whether in this moment he'll believe that even what his brothers meant for harm, God intended for good. Can you imagine that thought in your mind as you're being taken off? Somehow God still means good. He goes off to Egypt. Let's look at the second episode in his life. He's sold at the slave trade, and he ends up working in the house of a man named Potiphar. Potiphar is one of the highest assistants to Pharaoh, who's in charge of the whole land. Potiphar is a military official. Into this man's household, Joseph goes. Again, he has no power over what's happened. He's a slave. But there in Potiphar's house, he works hard. He doesn't give up and say, you know what, my life's over because my brothers uh, kidnapped me and then sold me into slavery. He decides to do the best he can where he is. And you know what, that's faith. And there as he works hard, He begins to rise up in the ranks of the servants in Potiphar's home, and he actually is put in a position which is higher than any other slave could be put in, and that is, he's invited to work in the home of his master, Potiphar. And I'm gonna trust you, trust me now, I'm telling you, it's a nice house. It's a lot nicer than where he could be living. And there in Potiphar's house, not only does he work right there, he's also given such a high level of trust that Potiphar is willing to let Joseph live right in the home of his wife. This is real trust that's put in Joseph. And here's where the trouble starts. If you know this story, you know what I'm getting at. If not, listen. In the the Bible, it says, Joseph was handsome and good-looking. He wasn't just handsome. And he wasn't just good-looking, he was handsome and good-looking. And Potiphar's wife notices, and she comes to him, and she says to him, this is an ancient pickup line, lie with me. That's what she says. In Hebrew, it's just two words. It's so concise. It's so, so No mincing words. Hey, lie with me. Like, that's how she goes about getting him. And he says, in this moment, He says, no, it would be wrong because I would be doing wrong to your husband, who's my master, and I'd be sinning before God. This guy has a very strong conscience. It's even stronger than his libido. He says, no, and so she doesn't give up she says it again and again and again. She even comes to him when her husband is away. and she says, look, my husband is far away. We're completely safe. There will be no danger of getting caught. Lie with me. He says, absolutely not. She grabs a hold of him. He runs. She holds on to his garment. And now she has in her hand the instrument that she is going to use to throw him yet again into serious adversity. And this time it's not because of his family, but it's because of his job. I saw a few people look at each other. Honey, listen up. <laughs> Has anyone here ever suffered because of their job? She takes his cloak to Joseph's boss, and she tells a lie. She tells a lie, which really throws him yet again into the pit of adversity. She goes and says to her husband, Look at this guy, this Hebrew who you trusted This is what he did to me. He tried to grab hold of me by force and lie with me. She was lying right to Joseph's boss's face. And as a result, this is what happens. This is in verse 19 and 20 of chapter 39. When his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, that's when Joseph's boss heard this lie saying, this is the way your servant treated me, he became enraged And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. He remained there in prison. This is a guy who was beaten up and sold into slavery by his family, and now at work, a lie lands him in prison. And again, he can't do anything to stop it. He has no power to determine what happens to him. Here again, he's in the moment that you and I might find ourselves in and that is the moment of suffering adversity because of what someone else did. And the question for us, like for Joseph, is going to be, how will I respond? What will I make of it? Whatever adversity you face, would you again pause and consider it? What will I do with what's been done to me? What will I believe about this? How will I think about it? You can imagine. I can imagine, because I've been there. You can imagine sitting and saying, you know what, God is a failure. I don't know what everybody thinks about him, but look how miserable I am. This is so awful. Why do I have to suffer through this? If he's so good, why would I be here? And it would be so reasonable to think that. But what if, like Joseph, you, or or what if I, we, we said this to ourselves, no, you know, I'm suffering again not because they made a mistake, but because they meant to do it. What if we believed this? Even this thing that they intended to do to harm me, even this, God can intend for good. Intend, bend it to some good purpose that is beyond what we could even imagine in the moment. He sat in jail thinking of that. That's the second. Here's the third episode. This third one happens in jail. Again, instead of giving up, the guy works hard. He does his best where life has landed him, where the trouble has brought him, and the guards in the prison notice it, and he's good. He's so good that they uh, over and over again promote him until he gets to the point where he's basically given responsibility for caring for all the prisoners in the jail. Two guys come in. These are guys who work right next to Pharaoh, the strongest man in the land. Pharaoh's cupbearer and his baker are imprisoned, And these two guys become very troubled because they have dreams that make them uneasy. And Joseph sees this, and do you know what he decides to do? He decides to befriend them. He doesn't sit in jail feeling bad for himself. He actually turns his vision outward and says, who's out there? He sees these guys who are suffering, and he becomes friends. He listens to their dreams, and he has this gift which God has given him, not only to lead, but to interpret dreams. And he tells them what their dreams mean. For one guy, ooh, it's bad news. We'll come back to that another day. For the other guy, for the cupbearer, it's actually good news. Joseph gets to tell this new friend, God is going to deliver you and there will be a day where you stand beside Pharaoh and you serve him again. And then Joseph adds to his friend, hey, can I ask you one thing? When you get out of the clink, That's like the New Living Translation. When you you get out, would you remember me to Pharaoh? Would you just tell him that I helped you get out so that you can help me? Is that too much to ask? He's asking him to be a friend. This is hard. You know sometimes friends who should help you, hurt you, it's one thing when a stranger hurts you. That's hard too. But sometimes a friend does. Look at the outcome here for him in this episode. This is chapter 40, verse 21. Pharaoh restored the chief cupbearer to his cup bearing, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hands. That means the guy got freed from prison and went back to work right next to Pharaoh, the man who has all the power in the world, the man who has the power to free Joseph. And look at verse 23. Yet... Yeah, The chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. He forgot him. And as a result, Joseph stayed in jail. Here's a guy who faces adversity because of his family, because of work, because of his friends. What, What do you face adversity because of if you've been fighting it and pushing it down while I'm talking, let it come up just for a minute, for now. What's the adversity that you have to face? And I know for some of you, this is monstrously difficult. But in that moment, when you face it, and for some of you, by the way, for some of you, it's not that monstrously big. Some of you are like, my life is good. (laughs) Trust me, there'll be a day when you face it. Can the rest of us tell them it's true? It is, watch out. What are you going to do? How will you respond? How will you face adversity when it comes upon you? I'm telling you, listen, if you do not reflect in the moment when you face it on what you believe about God, chances are instead of letting what you believe or what you want to choose to trust about God affect your response, instead, you are going to react. You're going to react to the difficult things that are done to you without even thinking, without even considering, wait, I believe this about God. How will that determine my response? Without thinking that through, your reaction will be swift and almost every time it will be completely counterproductive. It will make you a less effective person. It will turn you into someone who does not show the truth out in the world and instead you will be, go from bad to worse in suffering. There are three. I think we have them up here, don't we? Three of the most common ways people react when they don't let their faith shape their responses to adversity. And here they are. When you're not thinking it through, you are going to retaliate, or if that's not you, you're going to run, or if that's not you, you're just going to resign. Let me spend a moment on each. Retaliate. Someone does something wrong to you, and instantly, in your mind, you're thinking, how can I get back at them? Some people are wired like this. If it's an insult, immediately there's a stronger one back. If it's something really bad, there's plotting in my mind. How can I get back to them? Get back at them and give it to them? How can I make them pay for what they did to me? Do you know that the, the response of faith does not do this? We'll see it in Joseph's life in a minute. But my goodness, if you read on into the New Testament and you start listening to the words of Jesus when it comes to how we should respond to the evil that's done to us or his followers... Paul, especially, about how we're meant to respond to the wickedness that people do to us, retaliation is not in there. Or maybe that's not you. Uh, Maybe you're not the retaliator. Maybe you're the one who runs. Here's the person, when something bad happens, their response is to turn and run as far away as they can from it. To pretend it never happened. To put it in the past. And you might do this literally and run, or you might just do it emotionally. Just check out and run away from that past. You can never run away. And listen, sometimes, sometimes the hurt that people put upon us in, in a moment, it is right to run, okay? I'm thinking about moments where there's abuse or where there's uh, substance, substances involved. Get away, right? But as a strategy of dealing with adversity, those people who've tried to run from the hurt that others have put upon them know it doesn't work. It comes with you. Uh, the third one I have up there the strategy of resignation. That's the person who just says, I give up. I'll stay here and I'll just take it. But I'm going to resign myself to being a victim all my life. I feel bad and I feel bad. And eventually that person starts feeling good, feeling bad. Do you know what I mean? They fall in love with their pain and now they're stuck and they're resigned. Any one of these three strategies is so easy for us to take. And the world will invite us to take The first one, definitely. Or tell us that the second one is a better strategy and it will give us plenty of things that will help us run. Oh, taste this, drink this, take this drug, you'll feel fine. There are so many strategies for avoiding. And then sadly, when those first two don't work, I've seen so many people who though they live, they might as well be dead because they're so resigned to this victim mentality, they're stuck. So, any one of those three strategies, we can take them. It would be a victory for the enemy if we did that. If you're not a person in here who's come this morning with faith, you might think, what is he talking about? I'll just tell you this. Listen, God means for you and for me, all of us, to have the kind of life that thrives like Joseph's life thrived, that is good and blessed like Abraham's life was blessed so that we can be in this world which is so desperately in the need of light and goodness, the kind of light and kind of goodness that brings about the change that that we know God wants. As long as you face adversity and retaliate or run or resign, you will never be what God is calling you and inviting you to be. And, and, And listen now, there is this fourth option, which isn't any one of those three, and it's the option of faith. It's the step that I cannot prove to you, and I won't. It's not an argument that I win in front of you this morning. I I can't do that, although I'm pretty good at arguing. It's It's not that. It's a statement of faith. And that means, remember now, a decision that a person makes to trust another. A choice that somebody makes to entrust herself into the hands of one who is stronger and more capable. And when that happens... This card here, which Paul made for us, which says, faith defeats adversity. That's how it does it. It defeats adversity when someone chooses to trust that God's goodness is stronger still. And decide it, you see those words up there? It's also a statement of faith of a man named, another man named Paul, okay? Don't get confused here. Not the guy who worked for Renaissance Church, but he wrote a lot of the New Testament. Paul did not write any of the New Testament. This Paul <laughs> This is a man who himself had suffered at the hands of his own people because of his faith. He wrote these words that you see there. We know that in all things, not some things, that means in the hurt that our families put upon us and the harm that comes to us from work and the pain that comes to us because we are finding ourselves in the position of suffering at the hands of those who should have helped us, our friends. We know that in all things, he said... God works. God is doing something. God works for the good of those who love him. And here, love is an invitation to trust. To say, God, I trust you. You are trustworthy. I believe. I I don't know everything, but I'm ready to try and trust. When that happens, all things work together for good for those who love God and who have been called according to his purpose. And what is his purpose for you? Listen, next week I'm going to unfold as clearly as I can the truth that all of us have a a part in God's purpose. It's true. Joseph did. Paul did. You do. I do too. The person who believes does. And even the person who right now cannot yet believe. We all have a part in God's purpose. And hear the truth that you should take this to heart is that God is ready and able to work all things toward his purposes for you. And if you believe that, if you choose to trust that instead of retaliating or running away or giving up, then what will happen is the outcome for you personally and for the world around you will be better than you could have imagined. And I want to show you that. This is where I want to go in my closing. I want to show you that truth, not abstractly, but from the life of Joseph one more time. It's going to be brief here and and quick because the time just ran out. So if you think I've been talking fast up to this point, get ready. There are at least four things which are amazingly obvious in the life of Joseph which show us what happens when you take this view of faith. And I set them before you because they are your option as well. If you're willing to face reality as a mature adult, these are your options too. The first thing that we see from Joseph is that taking this view that trusts this, taking this view prevents you from giving up and being taken out of the game. In Joseph's case he very easily could have been beat up by his brothers and then said, that's it, I give up. But he didn't do that. Instead, when he got in his difficult place with Potiphar, he still used his gifts for leadership. And then when he was in jail, he still used his gift for dream interpretation. And then when he was with Pharaoh, he did it again. Taking this view will keep you from saying, you know what, that's it, I give up. And instead, you can go on using the gifts God has given you to serve him. That's the first thing. Secondly, taking this view positions you with your gifts to become a significant instrument for God's good purposes despite the challenges you face. You know, I said it earlier, God has a purpose for you and the purpose is good. In Joseph's case, God's purpose for Joseph was to use him to thwart off a famine that would have wiped out God's people entirely. And because Joseph didn't give up and because he kept using his gifts and because he believed this, that God's good intentions come even through the ill intentions of others. When he was there with Pharaoh, he was able to interpret his dreams and thereby he prevented the famine that would have destroyed the entire land. I'm summarizing what you find in those chapters. Read it on your own. It's remarkable. But what it demonstrates is the second fact and it's for you too. If you want God to use you for good, and you should all want that, When you take this view of adversity, you set yourself up to be used by him uniquely. That's the second point. Now here's the third. This one's very particular. We see it especially clearly in the moment where Joseph first makes this statement of faith. Taking this view protects you from one of the most deadly poisons that we humans experience, and that is the poison of resentment. And it frees you instead for the joy of forgiveness. You know what resentment is? I'm serious, do you know? Resentment is drinking poison and expecting it to hurt another person because they hurt you and you're angry and they never ask for forgiveness and you have no right to forgive them, right? That's what it is and in Joseph's case, the moment he says this statement is when his own brothers who were the ones who sold him into slavery are cowering before him because they're gonna starve because all of the land is desperate for food. They don't know that it's their brother yet and in that moment, Joseph looks at them and he knows, I could punish them for what they did but because I choose to believe that God's goodness was stronger than their ill intentions, I will will forgive them, and he forgave them. Would you try this? And this could be a divine gift to you. Would you think of the person and see their face, the one who hurt you? And in this moment, would you ask God, could you give me the freedom to forgive them, trusting you? And listen, if you can't do that now, there's plenty of time ahead of us. But in this moment, Joseph did it because of God's goodness. And here's the last thing I'll say. And there's more that could be said, but the last thing I'll say is taking this view and forgiving like that, positioned this man, Joseph, to do one of the most important things that can be done. In this moment, he projects a clear image of the most important person that anyone can ever see. Do you know who he looks like in this moment? Jesus. And I cannot wait. I cannot wait to start unfolding what Jesus looks like for Renaissance Church. Abraham last week, Joseph this week, next week, it's going to be a couple more characters that are in this Old Covenant, this Old Testament, I can't wait to talk about Jesus. I'm going to wait a bit, but here I can't hold it in. When this man stands in front of the, the very man who tried to kill him, and he forgives them, he looks like our Lord and Savior. That's what Christians call Jesus. And the reason we call him that is because he looked upon us in our guilt and the sin that we ourselves are guilty of, which nailed him to the cross. And he says, what you meant for harm, God intended it for good. And he can only say that because the grace that is in him is more mighty and powerful than all of the human wickedness in the world. Because in his power and grace, he forgives sinners like me and like you. When we come to the table in just a few moments, we should remember that. And you know what we should do when we remember it? We should rejoice. It's just really good to be with you in this way. I'm so thankful that God used everything in my past to bring me to this place. I am. And, a, and as we know each other more and more, we'll unfold that more and more. But, but for now, I'm going to pray and ask God to give us the gift of faith, all of us, especially in the face of adversity. Would you pray with me? God, the adversity that is behind the men and women in this room—why it seems heavier than almost anything—and and when we think of it, it's hard. And we can't carry it. That's actually true. God, we hope and we trust and we deeply desire for it to be so that you can carry all of our pain and our, our difficulty, all of the suffering that we've experienced at the hands of others. What I'm asking for this morning on behalf of all of the men and women gathered here for my own sake, for the sake of everyone who hears my voice, is that you would give us the faith to believe like Joseph, that your goodness is stronger than all human wickedness, that even the harmful things that others do to us can be bent by you into your good purposes so that you can redeem and free us and use us in the world so that we can succeed for you. God, this is my prayer for every individual here. It is most definitely my prayer for Renaissance Church, a community which knows what it is to face difficult things. Would you help us all together? And would you help us individually to trust and believe? to take that step of faith so that through your power and goodness, adversity would be defeated and bent into your good aims for us. I ask this in the name of your Son and our Lord and friend Jesus, who was well acquainted with suffering. Would you grant this prayer in his name and for his sake? And I pray it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.